This is the first royal NFT, okay? Uh, Queen Elizabeth in the, on the that? The knighted NFT, the holy yeah, NFT. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bankless Nation, happy first week of April. This is the first week in April 2022 that we are doing what, David? Oh, we're rolling up the week in crypto, Ryan, where we condense the entire week of cryptocurrency, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless. So many crazy things happened this week. Uh, gosh, Ryan, you want to tell us about it? Give, give us a tease. Tease us yeah, what look, happened this week. Yeah, look, okay, I'll give you the little tease. So uh, Elon Musk just became the largest shareholder in Twitter. And for those of you who are like, that's not crypto news. Well, Twitter is like crypto social governance protocol basically mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot a lot of the social layer of crypto of crypto happens on twitter so th- that we're going to talk about that uh uk the uk united kingdom is minting an nft this is the first royal nft okay uh queen elizabeth in on the, the that knighted nft the holy yeah NFT. It's, yeah it's it's a very special royal nft so we're excited about that and the UK talk as well. Also, the stablecoin wars are heating up. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard of the stablecoin wars, we'll talk about them. There's this thing called four pool on curve. There's a lot of detail here, but the, the, the key thing is stablecoins are getting aggro with each other, like communities mm-hmm. coming after one another and like trying to conquer market share. While Do Kwan is trying to basically kill Dai, uh, according to his own tweets. Meanwhile, MakerDAO is making deals with Tesla at the same time. So there are some uh, deep things to be talking about in the stablecoin wars this week. Uh, Luna is also buying Bitcoin and Avex. So that's what uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, not ETH, though. So not that's ETH. interesting. Political choice. A lot more to say about that. Okay, guys, before we get in, we want to tell you about this uh, really exciting NFT opportunity. All right. So this is an NFT that goes to a good cause. That's the first thing you need to know. So uh, it is National Awareness Day for HIV and AIDS on April 10th. And uh, MAC, the makeup company, Consensus NFT, they're partnering up, teaming up to present some art by the artist Keith Herring. Some fantastic art here embodied in an NFT and all of the proceeds go to support those affected, youth affected by HIV and AIDS. So really cool opportunity if you've never partaken in the NFT sort of uh, shenanigans as David calls them. <laughs> this is a good starter NFT. Um, some of the the lowest tier mints cost $25 and then upwards of, of there, there's a limited supply. And the art is really cool, David. Keith Herring, I've had an opportunity to uh, to look up more of his art, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it in pop culture references, but uh, he's done some incredible work here in the past. Yeah, I actually, I didn't know the name Keith Herring, but I knew the art by Keith Herring. Same. It's very iconic art. Uh, and so it, this is actually a pretty interesting opportunity. We have a very big company, MAC Cosmetics, uh, pairing up with Consensus, one of the biggest crypto companies, uh, using the art of Keith Herring, an absolutely f- like massive artist in the space, to make some NFTs where 100% of the revenue from these NFTs is going to uh, youth HIV AIDS awareness. So like just a lot of cool things all in this NFT project. Um, and so perhaps this might be the NFT project for you. Maybe you don't, uh, maybe you're looking at all these uh, monkey pictures and all these like, I don't know, all the weird NFTs. But you know, <laughs> if you want to get into an NFT and also feel good about it, maybe this is the first NFT for you if you've not yet minted an NFT. So if you want to uh, hear about that, sign up so you don't miss it. Go visit the link in the show notes. It's bankless.cc slash capital A. Uh, sorry, capital M, capital A, capital C, and you'll be directed to that where you can sign up. Um, David, some other things going on mm-hmm. is we are doing an episode on treasure 
DAO. Treasury ecosystem. And I think that's cool in and of itself. But also, this is a, a new show series mm-hmm. that we're playing around with. Um, tell us about this, David. Yeah, we're calling this the Alpha Leak series. Uh, basically, any time that there is a community out there who wants to present the bull case for that community, uh, Bankless is here for you. Uh, so I started out with this whole series with MakerDAO, uh, and then uh, the, this is going to be the second show in that series, Treasure DAO. Uh, and so uh, I'm just posting on Twitter, it's like who should come on next? So if you are a part of a community and you think that the bull case for that community needs to be heard, uh, make sure you're following uh, Bankless and, and me on Twitter because I will always listen to who gets the most energy into these tweet threads. Uh, you know, you got to get that engagement, Ryan. Uh, and yeah. that, that's how we decide who's coming on next is who wants this the most. Uh, so Treasure, mm-hmm. the ecosystem, uh, really, really vibrant community, uh, never been on Bankless before, but now they will be. Uh, and so your community can be on Bankless too. Uh, so yeah, I stay can't, tuned for more. I can't wait for the Cardano episode, David. Oh God! Be a great oh, one. what did I just do? Oh no! <laughs> I think you may have said too much. Yeah. Uh, speaking of saying too much, though, I don't think we're doing that in the Bankless Alpha report. But um, nice. there is a lot disclosed in the Alpha report. A lot of Alpha. Okay. So this is where you get your alpha. Uh, There is, I think, a growing need for people that are really just paying attention to the token ecosystem as attention goes from one token to another. Uh, The Bankless Alpha Report is where you get an understanding as why is attention going to where it is. So this is coming off of analyst Ben Giov. He's a super hungry uh, Zoomer analyst in the DeFi space. He's the methodologist behind the GMI index, and he pays attention to DeFi more than anyone one that I know. Uh, he is on the bleeding edge. He is on the frontier. And so he is covering the hottest tokens that have captured people's attention in the last like month or so. He's explained why they've captured attention. And then he gives his rating, overweight, underweight, underweight, or neutral, along with some price targets and, uh, and some analysis and justifications as well. This is going out to bankless premium subscribers for those that pay $22 a month. This will be an ongoing uh, thing every single month to capture some of the the hottest themes and the biggest alpha that Ben discovers, Ben and the rest of the uh, bankless analyst team discovers in the DeFi space. Uh, So if you are a bankless premium subscriber, this uh, alpha report is coming to your inbox today. Uh, Friday, as you are listening to this. So go check it out. You can see the preview here, but the text is hidden. Uh, and so expect this to come out every single month uh, and it just will always be a rotation of the hottest tokens that are in the uh, in people's mind share every single month. Uh, Ryan, anything to add to that? Oh, dude, I'm ex- super excited about this because I actually, I actually want to know, right? It's like um, we're so busy with the day-to-day of kind right. of managing all of the news and the ecosystems. Like, uh, to, to spend the in-depth time that our analysts do and finding actual token a- opportunities and what the catalyst might be, it's something I don't have time for. So mm-hmm. this is something I'm going to pay a lot of attention to, and I, I can't wait to read the entire thing. I've read part of it now, David, but I, uh, I'm, I'm going to give it all my attention soon. Speaking yeah, so we we actually we asked Ben to put in these like did digest to, to really bolster up uh, the, the bankless roll up and what we talk about. But then we just realized, you know what, let's just put it into a report. And so that's what yeah, we did. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Speaking Markets. of reports, Markets. I guess. Market market report. What's the market telling us right now? Uh, Bitcoin, where are we at on the week? Uh, it's a womp, womp, womp week, Ryan. Uh, Bitcoin is down 7%. Started the week at $46,000. <sighs> hit a low of $43,000 to where we currently okay. are, at, are at now at $43,000. And it's $43,600. Okay. Womp, womp. We're down. We're, We're down. down. Let's We're down. Uh, look at the three months still up. Still up a little bit. Uh, crab, crabby up, uppy crab. 
year to date. We're kind of down-ish, but it's all been crap. Uh, how about mm-hmm. Ether? What's that looking like on the week? Ether price started the week at $3,300, hit a low of $3,150, to, uh, but it also had an interweek high of $3,550. It looked really good, Ryan, trying to break out to the upside. It failed that breakout, and now the bears are in control again, but also not really because we didn't really break down below 3,100. So crabby week, but down overall, down uh, 6%, I think. Yeah, down 6%. Oh, over 3K, it's a good day, is what I say. Mm-hmm. And you well, know it's it true right because there. it rhymes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true for anything. Uh, ETH, Bitcoin, we'll, we'll talk about maybe why we're down on the week in, in a second because I think some of this has to do with the, uh, the Fed news mm-hmm. uh, this week. But before we get there, the ETH Bitcoin chart on the ratio, the all-important ETH Bitcoin ratio, what's that looking like this week? Oh, it's looking good, Ryan. Last week it was yeah. at 0. .072. This week okay. it is at 0. .074. So above a little bit more than a 2% growth on the week. Uh, you know, you can't be disappointed. Uh, yeah, we didn't really get the U.S. dollar breakout that we wanted, but the uh, ETH BTC, the risk appetite indicator, is slowly grinding upwards. Okay. Crypto hungry for more risk, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bet index, which tries to moderate some of that volatility and that risk, a third, a third, a third, with that's a third Bitcoin, a third DeFi uh, tokens, and a third ETH. What's that looking like on the week? Yeah, down 7% on the week. Started at $122, okay. uh, currently at $113. There we go. Uh, there we go. Gas markets. Uh, it was a lower gas week most of the time with some huge spikes, I think. Uh, like the Gary V spike. We'll talk about that when we get to the news. But mm-hmm. what's the average gas? What's this looking like? Yeah, average gas last week was 40 guay. It has moved up to 44 guay. So ah. Ethereum usage marginally increasing. Marginally increasing. There you go. Well, let's talk about uh, maybe why some of the prices are down. This is our Fed watch. The Fed officials this, this week announced a plan to shrink the balance sheet by $95 billion a month. That's a big Meaning, number. That's a big number, that's right? Big and number. so this is reverse quantitative easing quantitative tightening, I suppose. I don't know if these terms are still used very much, but uh, $95 billion a month they are shedding. And this would shrink the Fed's balance sheet by $1 trillion per year, David. And the, the reason uh, is, of course, this is on the back of concern about uh, inflation. You know, it's, just, it's not so fleeting, apparently, as the Fed was talking about last summer. It, it seems to be a sustained issue that the Fed is now dealing with. And so, they're not only talking about, of course, uh, shrinking the balance sheet, but also continuing to, to raise rates expeditiously was, I believe, a term that was used. And we saw some of the damage that came in the bond market as a result of this. Oof. So uh, massive damage. This was like one of the biggest drops, I think, since the 1990s in Whoa. the bond market. So the biggest drop we've seen in like 25 plus years. On what um, time frame though, just for, for the listeners that aren't looking at the chart, are we talking about from the end of November to where we are currently time frame? No, nah, this is a I'm different seeing. chart. This is a different chart. Oh, okay. I, I was just saying that in general, this is the iShares uh, 20 year treasury ETF chart, which is down 11% year to date. So in Honestly, general- t- it looks like a crypto chart, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> the takeaway is like people are getting out of bonds. What's interesting about this is um, stocks are still up. Right, so you got bonds going down, stocks up. Like people don't want to be in bonds. People want to be in. I guess traditionally they they've been seen as risk on assets, like stocks. Like even crypto didn't take too big of a hit compared to bonds. And you sort of wonder if maybe the definition of risk is changing fundamentally. Like bonds are somewhat risky. 
Right. Like, I mean, you're looking at a, a federal government who's printing trillions per year. All of every single nation state is printing printing so much money these days, and their deficits are getting higher. Their ability to pay them back without printing is becoming less and less likely. And so, are bonds really the the safe asset? I don't know. Maybe the market is showing some some signs of that cracking. Of course, I'm not a macro economist. I just see the Fed doing some more tightening. Interesting that crypto didn't take quite as big a hit as I thought it might, and uh, perhaps all of this is is saying something to us. It's also saying that uh, U.S. mortgage rates are up. If you're looking to get in, in a mortgage, the time was like a few months ago. Not so much now. Rates are up to like four four and a half percent almost now. And uh, the take I have here is that the volatility, the the joke, the tweet is saying this is not oil. This is not a meme stock or even a shitcoin. It's U.S. mortgage rates, which is indicating the absolute like gargantuan run in mortgage rates from just like earlier this year, where it was at three percent down up to four point four percent, which is like a big move in mortgage rates, apparently. Totally. But just also the, the speed and magnitude of the move is kind of what's uh, caught a lot of people by surprise. And my take here is that. The world is becoming more and more chaotic. As crypto becomes less and less volatile, the, the world around it is becoming more and more volatile. I remember in 2017, 2018, one of the conversations about why crypto will never work was like, oh, it's too volatile, it's too volatile. Well, <laughs> the rest of the world has gotten a lot more <laughs> volatile since then. Uh, and also since then, crypto volatility has dampened. So, you know, not really how I expected that to play out at the time, but uh, the world becoming more chaotic makes crypto a lot easier uh, a lot more appetizing than previously. Can I just say this? I feel like crypto has made me volatility proof. Totally. Like, totally. I just. If you've whatever, been in crypto, man. you are prepped. You are prepped for the next you decade. You are totally prepped, like yeah. emotionally. Like you've been through like volatility wars. Like you are the you are the veteran. And so when you go back to the regular markets, you see something like this. You're like, oh, is that it? If people are talking about this. Why are they talking yeah. about this? <laughs> <laughs> it's always funny to see equities and people are like a 4% shock to the market stocks are four percent s&p is four percent down i'm like what i don't wake I up mean, over four percent four percent in either 4%. direction how boring no thank you uh speaking of volatility i guess um volatility of three hours capital in their in their, <laughs> in their decisions i see they're rotating back into eth we talked Rotators. about this not last week but the week before where mm. people are of course tracking their uh ethereum addresses and seeing that three hours capital, they just bought another 31,000 ETH. That's another $100 million. Not a lot, probably, for three hours capital, but Casual. interesting. And I, f- I feel like this is part of the, the great merge rotation mm-hmm. that we're about to see. Like, even trading firms are like, okay, we know that that merge narrative merge is going to be hot. Is on. Yeah. We mm-hmm. want to be here. Um, so that's what I think is happening here with three hours capital. Yeah, so I think the next steps for Three Hours Capital is after they are done rotating into ETH, you'll start to, they, they've already added the ETH tag back into their bios. I think this is Suzu. Um, and like, you know, at some point, they're going to start talking about the merge on Twitter. Like, this is what everyone's expecting. This uh, totally. Is the, this is the game. And a bankless episode, maybe? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether we'll do that. We'll have to see when the time comes. Guys. We're going to get to the releases and, of course, the news of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Hey, guys, we are back with the hot releases of the week. The first is it's, it's nitro, nitro time. time. <laughs> what is that? that sounds awesome. Okay, here's what it means, though. Arbitrum, very popular layer two, optimistic roll-up layer two. They have just released the testnet version of Nitro. 
okay? This is um this is going to be a seamless upgrade, I believe. So there's nothing that that folks have to do. And of course, this is still test net, so it needs to go through the process and eventually get to their main net. A few things that this uh, includes are one, a custom built EVM emulator. That's what they had previously. They're now replacing that with Geth. So getting a bit more standardized, I think, is part of what they're doing here. Of course, there's also the minimization of layer two costs. So gas fees on Arbitrum going down once this is implemented through batching and compressing. There's so much room for optimization. We've been talking about this for a while on Bankless with um, optimistic rollups and ZK rollups. Once you have the first version of these things where transactions are maybe still like you know, 10 cents, 20 cents, 25 cents a dollar. That's just the first version. Now all of these layer twos are going through the process of just massive compression. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of the first pass of uh, improvements into these ecosystems. And that's happening with uh, Nitro now. The same is happening with, with Optimism as well. So it's really cool to see these upgrades. Yeah, a couple paragraphs out of their out of their uh, article today. We throttle Arbitrum's capacity, but with Nitro, we'll be able to release these controls and significantly up our throughput. And while Arbitrum today is already ninety to ninety-five percent cheaper than Ethereum on average, Nitro cuts costs even further. When we eventually migrate Arbitrum one over to Nitro, it'll be a seamless migration from the current stack to the Nitro st uh, stack. So users will have an uninterrupted experience. Experience. The only thing they'll notice are reduced fees, increased capacity, and overall faster experience. So this. Is they have the test net uh, and then they have the current Arbitrum one and they're doing the Indiana Jones hot swap thing. Yep. They, if, if I was on the Arbitrum marketing team, I'd start calling this the merge uh, if I were them, uh, <laughs> just because like this is perfect. Do you guys um, hear that? Arbitrum yeah. team. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Some 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 free advice, some marketing advice for you guys. So the, the Arbitrum merge is is coming. Uh, I, I I think that if I'm uh, might be getting outside of my technical capacity here, but replacing the EVM emulator with Geth, I think is following in Optimism's footsteps of optimizing for EVM equivalents, which is a concept that I'm super super bullish on. This is how you scale Ethereum out beyond the L1 and have EVM equivalents across all the L2s. It makes things very very replicatable. Replicatable is anti-fragile. This is how crypto works. Uh, Really excited to get this Arbitrum Nitro out the door. And Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and guess that this is the last major thing that Arbitrum does before they launch a token. This is my guess. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. uh, I don't know if the team can either confirm or deny that, but we have predicted that 2022 would be L2 year. And by that, we also meant... Tokens. 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 <laughs> we definitely did. So give me, give me, give me. Give me all the stuff, Arbitrum. Yep. We want tokens. We want low gas fees. We want all of it. And uh, it seems like they're delivering that. So super cool mm -hmm. to see. Um, Instadap, really cool app. They just released a light version of their application. What's cool about this, I think, is the ability to get one-click DeFi yields. I almost worry that it's too easy. Like, look, I click that button. I start earning... 10.31% on my ETH. How I don't do they do know how that? it works. How do they do that? I don't know how it works, but uh, because I haven't looked at it, I'm sure it's you know throwing it into I'm all sure of these, these strategies. There might there. be some leverage. You don't know the risk. Anyway, cool stuff from Instadap. Uh, let's talk about layer zero. Not my your podcast. layer zero. God damn. <laughs> Not that layer zero. <laughs> this is a, uh, a bridge, a bridge application a bridge a bridge platform that we we're talking about last week in the context of receiving some funding the interesting thing this week is a nft project that has rolled out something that uh the industry and people are calling omni-chain nfts in fact william peaster did a fantastic overview of what 
omni-chain NFTs are, what they are, why they matter. But it's basically the idea of deploying an NFT, not just on one chain. You don't have to pick a Solana or a Polygon or an AVAX or an Ethereum, but deploying a little bit on each chain. And the application itself, I believe, sits inside of uh, layer zero, right? So it's almost like a layer zero type of application. Uh, and the idea of an omni-chain is you don't have to be, you don't have to mint on like one specific chain and live there. You can kind of live pieces of the NFTs live on all of these various chains. It's a cool concept and something I I think we'll see some pickup uh, this year. And so does William Peaster. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, having NFTs that change their expression based on properties is always interesting. Having one of those properties be uh, which blockchain is it on is pretty cool as well. It's one of those things where I can't really immediately think of a use case for it, but I also probably couldn't have thought of a use case for the internet back in the 1980s. Uh, And so same kind of thing where it's just like opening up the design space to something completely brand new. Um, Again, thank you for naming your project after my podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Ghostly Ghost is the NFT project. By the way, this harkens to a podcast episode we just did with Olaf Carlson Wee that's coming out on Monday for Bankless listeners, where he made the case that Bridges might also be an application platform in the future as well. I wonder if we're seeing hints of that with Omnichain NFTs and Layer Zeros. Uh, we'll be following that closely, of course. Um, I see ETH is a new interest compounding ETH index from Index Co-op, okay? This is a way to boost up your ETH yield as well. Uh, super cool. I um, I could tell you a little bit about where the yield is coming from, but I don't know all of the details. Here's a Dune Analytics chart describing the process. But basically, it deposits Lido's liquid-staked ETH token as collateral in Aave and then recursively borrows the ETH through Aave and then swaps more of that uh, ETH for staked ETH. So it's kind of a a margin play on your ETH to boost your yield on ETH using staking plus some Aave margin. You could like do this yourself, but it would be a lot of work. Uh, And this asset that you can buy from Index Co-op essentially automates that entire process. Um, What are we looking at as far as yield? Look at this. 10%, 10.1. 10%, 10.1. Hey, I, that's where the InstaDap yield came from. I guess so. That would just make way too much sense. And so, in theory, this should be risk-free. If we uh, remove away smart contract risk and other like DeFi exploit type risk, which is always a risk, in theory, this is risk-free, right? Because if the value of your ETH goes down, the value of what you also owe is also going down. So you're immune from US dollar fluctuations because you're putting your staked ETH as collateral to borrow ETH. And so these things move in tandem with each other, except one moves slightly higher than the other, other one over time. So in theory, this is a risk-free move to, to leverage up on yield if you are, are okay with taking smart contract risk and any other DeFi exploit risk that might come with this. Yeah, I asked an analyst who's very familiar with this product what he thought about it. Uh, He said, good product, but non-zero blow-up risk. But it's still probably safer than leveraging on Aave yourself. And it's really accessible to retail. Of course, the the risks are the smart contract risk, as you said, and then any mechanical issues with the automated uh, leverage and and rebalancing sort of uh, functionality that's going on. So there's definitely some risk here, but wow, 10% yield on ETH. Uh, is pretty appealing with a, with a single asset that does that. So Index Co-op, bring in some cool products to market. Uh, David, what's this? Tracer having a competition? 
Yeah, Tracer Dow having a trading competition, $25,000 in prizes and NFTs. It starts Wednesday, April 7th. That was two days ago, and it ends the 16th, and this is on the Arbitrum Wrinkleby testnet. Uh, this is ahead of Tracer Dow's coming V2 when they decide to go live on the mainnet with their V2 perpetual pools, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm already using Tracer V1, but the properties coming in Tracer V2 are, are definitely much needed. Uh, and as soon as those come about, uh, we will be talking about that on Bankless uh, and, and around. And uh, Tracer. so if you want to come and be part of the Tracer uh a trading competition and perhaps get up to $25,000, there's a link in the show notes for you to go participate. Perpetuals products. Uh, they're the future. Super cool here to have them in DeFi. All right, uh, let's talk raises. Mm. So the first is not quite a raise, I suppose, but uh, is a lot of capital, so sort of counts. The Luna Foundation, that is LFG, they just bought $231 million worth of Bitcoin. They, of course, have plans to purchase 10 billion dollars worth they've of stated. bitcoin they've stated, they've stated to to backstop ust i think they're at like one over one billion 1. now 3, like yeah. one point one point three yeah. something like this um so that oh, in and me, of 1. itself 1.6 okay 1.6 that in and of itself is a story and by the way if you'd like to hear kind of a a debate about the the merits of ust and uh maybe some of the um the risks associated with ust tune into our podcast from earlier this week on the bull and bear case for that that's one piece of the news. But the other piece of the news is this, David. Do you read this? Yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting choice. Uh, buying Bitcoin to backstop your, your stablecoin makes sense. Uh, but in addition to that, the Terra LFG fund has bought $100 million of the AVAX token. Uh, and so that is a different choice than buying Bitcoin. Uh, and again, the idea is that we have these reserve currencies uh, that help backstop the peg. And so it's like ammo in the bank to use if in case there's ever a, a lull in UST demand and UST removes its peg, you use the Bitcoin and, and the rest of your reserves to, uh, to buy up the, the stablecoin to make sure the peg is maintained. Bitcoin, I don't think anyone really would question the, the choice to, to uh, use Bitcoin as an asset to backstop this. The $100 million into the AVAX token? Questionable. Questionable. There is a big difference between an $830 billion market cap in Bitcoin versus the AVAX market cap of $23 billion. Uh, and so you, if you won't, are going to backstop something, you need something that has strong insurances and extremely high liquidity and is going to be available for you in the time of need. Uh, in the time of need is uh, AVAX token, which has... Uh, a lower history of price than Bitcoin does is not the same level of assurances that Bitcoin has. Uh, and like they've, uh, they've skipped from going from the number one crypto asset, which is Bitcoin, with an $830 million market cap, skipped over Ether, skipped over BNB, skipped over Solana, justifiably skipping over XRP and Cardano, down to Avalanche, down to the number 10 crypto asset. So this, in my mind, is not actually something that's in the best interest of the protocol. This is a political choice. This is like an alignment uh, with the AVAX community because they're putting AVAX on the Terra balance sheet. Okay, so it kind of depends here from my, t like my take is this, like I don't think that um, Terra is actually prioritizing risk mitigation with the move like this. And in fact, that was kind of what we learned from our, our podcast earlier this week with the bull, Jose, who explained much more about the Terra ecosystem in UST, that the end game for uh, UST in Terra is actually like utility. 
it's actually usage. And so the prioritization is not necessarily on risk mitigation with a move like this. The prioritization is on composable communities, right? Uplift, basically. So if I get the Bitcoiners on my side at Terra, what happens? Mm. Bitcoin price goes up a little bit. Terra price goes up. Bitcoiners are more friendly to my community, more likely to use USD. Oh yeah, we like we like USD and Luna. It's it's kind of a, a Bitcoin friendly and a portion of it's backed by Bitcoin. How great is that? Do this rinse, wash, and repeat. Do the same thing with the AVAX community. Now we've so got it, a tie. It is political. Yeah, you're, it is, we're it the is, same thing. It is political, yeah. but it's it's a move for not to backstop from a risk perspective. It's more to like pump the usage of this thing. Maybe even pump the value of this thing, right? So AVAX now, the Avalanche community is like, okay, uh, I'm excited about this. Number go up for Luna token. Number go up for AVAX because AVAX is only the second coin that LFG has purchased and everybody wins. Everyone's happy. Now, whether you think that is a short-term game destined to fail or whether you think that is a long-term bootstrapping phase sustainable thing that's going to bootstrap UST and Luna into the stratosphere, the strategy does make some sense from that perspective. But I would also say, I still make this claim, I'm not sure what the difference is between UST that is buying and custodying uh, Bitcoin and AVAX for its reserves to backstop a currency and an actual bank. Yeah. Like, I don't see a lot of distinction here. It's kind of like, it's a bank, Jim. This is, a, you know, this is a, what a federal bank does. Looking a little bit like that. And um, that that's some probably unresolved piece of the discussion. I, I think Jose made a lot of fantastic points uh, in our discussion with him, but I was still not understanding how this is much different than a bank's balance sheet that is trying to prop up the, the value of its asset. Uh, so I've still got some more... I guess due diligence or like, mm -hmm. you know, things to think through on that side. I will throw a flag in saying that putting AVAX on the balance sheet doesn't make UST, the token, have more utility. Like UST has the same amount of utility based on what's on top of the Terra blockchain. Putting AVAX in the LFG fund doesn't add to the utility of that token. It, so he, here's what it could do, though. It's like the AVAX community now wants to adopt it more. Right. So AVAX okay. now prefers DAI. And so, right. or excuse me, they prefer UST to DAI. Why? Right. Because UST is now um, base, backed by AVAX. Right. And so you're creating a composable community linkage there. And so Why? that could increase the utility of UST. So why would they skip over Ethereum, which has a much larger DeFi ecosystem, and go straight for Avalanche, which has a smaller, more nascent DeFi ecosystem? Well, I think that is what you said earlier, which is the um, enemy of my enemy is my friend. I actually didn't right? say that earlier in the podcast. That was in the Vitalik debrief. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we just well, recorded an episode with Vitalik this morning. Uh, that debrief will come out in two weeks, I think. Yeah. 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 I think that's what's going on. Yeah. Don't you? Do you have another explanation? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think, that, again, it's a political alignment as in like, yeah, let's band together all the, the subdominant L1s so that, you know, together we can we can beat Ethereum. I think that's kind of what's going on here. It's interesting. It's it's crafty. It's clever in yeah. a lot of ways. You got to hand it to him for, from that perspective. Does it actually increase the or decrease the risk of UST? 
Not sure about that one. Yeah, because, because <laughs> Luna and Avi and the, the AVAX token have They're to have such a high correlation with each other. So yeah. with, you, it, it, in the time of need, you need non-correlated assets. Bitcoin is still p pretty correlated, but also, you know, it's Bitcoin. It's, it's much more yeah. stable. I would It would have made much more sense to have gold. If we're going to do this whole, like, centralized custody thing, like, F it. Let's do gold. I don't know. Put some dye in it. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? Because it's backed by real estate and Tesla, which is actually where we're going next in this story. Well, let's talk about. Oh no, well, we're actually, not. actually we have next? a few more things. No. Yeah, a few more things first. So wormhole, which is the bridge, you remember, had a big, massive hack, biggest hack, bridge hack in history until last week. Uh, well, they've recovered from that. Crypto bridge wormhole is seeking 2.5 billion dollar valuation price tag in private token sales. I don't know. My mind's exploding at the valuation of these things now. Bridges are just valued as highly as as layer twos i don't quite understand it yet uh am i missing something are we collectively missing something this is the debate as to uh whether or not we live in a bridge ecosystem is it's there's the debate as in you know a layer two cryptographic bridge or cross layer one interoperability bridges which i'm pretty sure unless i miss something the interoperability between l1 blockchains is not a solved problem maybe that's what they're trying to solve but I th I'm pretty sure, in theory, it is a unsolvable problem. And so uh, all layer one bridges are going to have to be centralized multi-sigs. And I don't think it can get any better than that at the fundamental level. This is to what I understand about cryptography, which is more decent than most other areas of my technical uh, knowledge. You cannot have a secure cross layer one ecosystem. Like uh, and so, like these valuations on these cross layer one bridges, I just don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. Most of the uh, bridges, and by the way, I think I am bullish on bridges, and I think as are you, bullish on bridges as a category, like hugely bullish on yes. them. But most of the bridges uh, that that we've seen are like more layer two to layer two. Yeah, which uh, makes a lot more cryptographic sense. This, bridges. Yes, right. This is this is a multi layer one bridge. But if you want the contrary opinion to that, listen to our episode with Olaf Carlson Lee. Because he's very bullish on bridges, and I think Polychain was probably involved in, uh, I don't surprised. know if in this sale, but Layer Zero for sure. Uh, yes. Anyway, Wormhole is back, baby. Uh, Twitch co-founder, NFT startup, just net, netted $35 million in seed funding. So a Twitch co-founder starting an NFT startup, and in seed funding, he's getting $35 million for that. That's seed funding, David. That's not Series A. That's not Series B. That's like, I got a PowerPoint with some ideas. <laughs> You know, it's that level of seed funding. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. This week, valuations seem a little more ridiculous than usual. What do you think we could get for like 10% of bankless? I how have much no idea, seed, How much seed funding do you think we could get? I, I think you could uh, create a narrative. Bankless, <laughs> is, uh, bankless is a media interoperability bridge. Cross-blockchain. Cr cross Cross-chain for the, no one would the multiverse. <laughs> Not doing it. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I, we one. need to take this more seriously. This is my bad. <laughs> Chorus One. They are a staking ecosystem leader. They've been doing this since 2018. They're getting into the venture game. Uh, so investing $30 million into promising protocols. So staking company turns mm -hmm. VC. Interesting. Yeah, there's, there's a discussion to be had there. I think we'll, we'll skip that one. How about this? Boba Network valuation just hit $1.5 billion dollars. After a $45 million Series A round, who's in this Series A? Uh, companies like Crypto.com, Huobi, Bit, uh, Bitmart, Will Smith. 
Seriously? Will Smith and Paris Hilton. Yeah, Will Smith. Uh, oh, we're trying to get Paris Hilton on the podcast, by the way. That might happen. How about Will Smith? I just, you know, uh, he's been in the I, news lately. Paris Hilton first. <laughs> she, she's smart and she's crafty and she's got some, some awesome NFT opinions. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested in hearing Will Smith's opinions about some things too. You know what's interesting about this one, Ryan? Uh, $1.5 billion valuation on Boba Network. Boba Network is a fork off of Optimism, which also raised at $1.5 million not too long ago. Uh, so like L- L2 forks raising at the same valuations as the L2s themselves. Can, can we call a narrative here? Like this narrative couldn't be more clear to me. What? Do you uh, mean the L222 narrative? There's No, we've already called that. I'm talking about like an alt L2 narrative that's coming. So I think ah. a lot of the rotators of the world, I'm not calling anyone out three hours capital. I'm not calling anyone <laughs> out. A lot of the rotators of the world will be very excited to capitalize on this narrative because we've seen the off-brand not layer be more twos. obvious. <laughs> off-brand layer twos that are community-backed and non-VC and more pure, like that's going to be a whole thing. And non-Ethereum cabal, you know, fork an optimism, fork an arbitrum, fork some ZK sync technology, and create an off-brand layer two that now has capital from Jump Capital, mm-hmm. Alameda, uh, three hours. You know, the whole and then and then pump that thing, pump mm-hmm. that token until the narrative's done, and then you rotate back into Bitcoin and ETH. All right, I think we'll, we'll I'll add that to the Bankless pitch deck. We'll remain an <laughs> off-brand layer two. <laughs> Good idea. All right, Lightning Network is still there. It's still doing stuff. Uh, Thirty million dollars, or sorry, Lightning Labs just raised seventy million dollars to bring stable coins to Bitcoin. That's the thing that uh, they were trying to do over at Lightning Labs. Any thoughts on this? I didn't know that that was possible. Um, Elizabeth Stark, who is the the woman that you see on the screen, has been uh, just relentlessly working on on Lightning Network. Big open source developer, big believer. Uh, has been the CEO of Lightning Labs, Labs for forever. Lightning Labs has been around for forever, so definitely deserves to like raise a bunch of money. I don't. I do not know how stable coins become a part of Lightning Network. That is new information to me. They're trying. They're trying. Uh, maybe we will investigate that a little bit more as that matures and actually we see some stable coins that's the first yes, step you got to see yes, it right uh press release is easy crypto data firm coin metrics i love this data for, coin, we love coin metrics we love yeah. coin metrics they just raised 35 million dollars in a funding round uh so i that's was trying to find the, fun- the, the valuation I, they didn't mention the uh, the valuation yeah um didn't so that, that part is hidden but coin metrics has been around for a long time a uh, very useful website to get very accurate and true data about stuff. I use it all the time. If you have not yet tinkered with CoinMetrics, you should definitely try it out. It's a Nick Carter startup. Yep, uh, Carter ish. startup. He was, yep. Yeah, he was involved in this. Mm-hmm. Binance.us, they just raised $200 million in a seed round as well. That's a $4.5 <laughs> billion dollar valuation. Not, be, not to be confused with uh, other Binance, which is like global Binance, I guess. Mm-hmm. This is Binance.us with its own $4.5 billion valuation it's going the ipo route david at a technical level there's actually no formal link between binance us and binance except for that actual binance licenses out their branding to binance us no way i I didn't know this i think there is actually no legal link between these entities oh wow yeah okay other than like i'm pretty sure cz owns like a significant share of binance us which is like a legal link through the man himself never i've never used it never used binance.us Okay, let's talk about Nier. So this is, I think, the last one in our yeah. raises. A lot of raises this week. They just raised a five hundred million dollars after wow. their latest funding round. Wow. 
don't know what the valuation of this is. Uh, in the billions, for sure. Certainly. Another certainly. big war chest, 500 million. Well, you know, I, I mean, it's at, a live token, right? So you can just see the see the, the valuation based on the token. Yeah, they got a little, I'm sure uh, VC's got a little discount on that, and that's kind of how it does. works. Um, you know, uh, this reminded me of the post $15 billion dollar total TVL, or excuse me, not TVL, uh, fully diluted valuation, 15 nice. billion. Uh, remember this chart? We were talking about this with Vitalik earlier. Yeah. It's from mm -hmm. his post. This is um, a chart. If you're on YouTube, you can see this major public chains launch date versus insider allocation. And it's funny, like the chart is basically showing the early chains had the lowest amount of insider um, insider allocation. Of course, Bitcoin had zero, unless you mm -hmm. include the the early insiders who are like mining the thing, of course, which you might mm -hmm. include that. But uh, Ethereum, very low insider uh, insider allocation. Yeah, it's and probably even, just talking about the $10 million presale, right? Yep. And then even Cardano and Tezos and EOS, like fairly low insider valuation. There were other like flaws with EOS, for, for example, but uh, low compared to today. Like we look at um, near, it's like over 50, 60% insider Oof. valuation. And Oof. here's even, here's even more, right? Another private round uh, with a larger, lar larger valuation of insiders. I guess now the token is public, so you can, you can kind of buy that uh, and trade that. But it's just interesting over time that this is uh, consolidated to a lot of early VC raises before the uh, tokens have launched. And that's also true of layer twos. Mm -hmm. We can't say that's not true of layer twos. Certainly. It's just a product yeah. of the SEC. Small clarification on this one. Near Protocol didn't raise $500 million. They have $500 million in cash after they ah. raised $350 million on ah, April okay. 6th. So they raised $350. They have $500 million in cash, uh, led by Tiger Global, FTX Ventures, uh, Blockchain Ventures, Dragonfly Capital. Um, and then previous rounds by Three Arrows Capital, Alameda A16Z. What are they going to do with $500 million? Like, they're going to... Uh, they're gonna hire. They're gonna talk about jobs. Five hundred million dollars. <laughs> five hundred. I don't see near hiring on this jobs board, Brian. Yeah, I mean, um, look, they're definitely gonna hire people. What else they do with it? I got to go to marketing. I'm sure there's also you know, future development. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what an L1 does with all of this money. Uh, I think we will see though, in the in the months and years to come. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna go broke. That's for sure. Not a five hundred million dollars. <laughs> Bear market uh, immune. Yeah. Well. On the topic of jobs and hiring, which and is maybe where Nier is going to spend some of its money, get a job in crypto. Yep. This is our weekly reminder to you that there are jobs awaiting you in the crypto ecosystem in Web3, and you can have them. You could see them. You could see more at bankless.palette.com slash jobs. I'm going to read out a few. Is that okay? You're sitting down. Please I don't sir. know if you can dance like that. but I've done it once before. All right. Solidity Architect, number one, Alu. Marketing Manager, Mesha. UX Designer, Prometheus Research Labs. That just sounds awesome. A Community Manager, the DGen Dogs Club. Where else can you get a job at the DGen Dogs Club? A Co-Founder for Innovative Omnichain DeFi Primitive. We're just talking about the Omnichain. That's a TBD thing. It's in Paris. Blockchain Engineers at Masari. Software Engineers, Market Data, Masari. Operations Manager, Syndica. Senior Product Designer, Smart DeFi. Senior Go Rust Engineer, Syndica. Senior Full Stack Engineer, Syndica. Senior Software Engineer, Airdrop Labs. Product Manager, Crypto Nori. Bankless Web Developer at Bankless. And a Bankless Editor at Bankless. Still looking for those positions. We got some cool candidates. We want to see some more too. For those who are going to Amsterdam, this is how I'm going to be dancing at the Rave that's happening. <laughs> there's a Rave in Am there's Amsterdam. A, there's a Rave again? happening in Amsterdam, yeah. What's the story? They can't have these on U.S. Uh, territory, right? No, I think they just chose not to. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. Like, yeah. Europeans get all the good things. Plus, their parties are better. <laughs>
Do you want to move to news? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Ethereum news. Uh, remember the Axie bailout, David? We were contemplating. We thought maybe mm-hmm. it would happen. There's the biggest bridge hack in history, mm-hmm. $625 million something. Who bailed them out? Binance. Binance. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't, Binance just didn't give Axie $150 million. There was a $150 million funding round. So we're actually still talking about raises. Binance gave Axie... Uh, they didn't, they didn't, uh, the, the details on it, what Axie gave them are undisclosed. There's probably some like Ron tokens, some AXS tokens, uh, maybe a bunch of strange love potions. I don't know. Uh, but they got $150 million raised from Binance, which is going to help, uh, plug the hole for the users that lost the money. Uh, and so, I mean, it's not a complete bailout because they lost 620 million. And I don't think, I haven't heard any news about like the fallout for where that money has gone. I think nothing's happened with it. Um, you mean like the, the people who the hackers, were missing yeah. the money? Oh, oh the no, hackers well, like, are Yeah, so... where, where's that money gone? I don't, I don't know. Um, I didn't hear anything about I it haven't heard a, haven't heard a thing. But anyways, they are making um, amends to their community by raising this money. Uh, so anyone that lost money with Axie Infinity now has this $150 million to tap into to get some of their money back. That's cool. Thought this would happen. Yep. And uh, certainly the big capital pools are, you know, using it as an opportunity to get some more, some equity, some more share in these crypto networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is interesting. Backed just inked a deal to offer Bitcoin and Ether buys. Uh, and sells to American Bank customers. So American Bank is a community bank headquartered in Pennsylvania. What's interesting to me is now the banks are licensing crypto companies to sell their customers crypto, right? (laughs) How far we've come. When banks going from like, oh, this is a a scam, like cryptos, now they are actively trying to find ways to sell crypto to their customer. Mm. When Wells Fargo? When are you guys doing this? Right. I mean, if if they hadn't, if they had thought more openly about crypto like in 2017, 2018 and actually started to build in the bear market like the rest of us, they wouldn't have to actually go through other people's services in order to now provide crypto. They could have just done it themselves. But no, they were closed minded. David, not even one bank did this. Not even one bank. Not even one. one. It's all crypto native companies that are dominating the new crypto banking industry. It's not not even any of the old legacy ones. And I'm surprised, to be honest, we haven't seen an acquisition of right. a legacy bank, like right. acquire a crypto native company. Yeah, probably because crypto na- native companies are like, no, F you guys. Like, we have all the goods. We're going to buy you guys in two yeah, years. Yeah, we don't need you. <laughs> yeah, we don't need you. Well, I mean, SBF came out and said that. He was right. like, yeah, we're going to buy Goldman one day. Right. I don't know if that was a, you know, I think if, if S- SBF could buy Goldman, he would buy Goldman. <laughs> I think he would do that. Uh, all right. This is what you were talking about earlier. What's this? Tesla and MakerDAO? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so MakerDAO is pioneering into the world of real-world assets, and so they have these legal structures that are formed that allow them, allows the protocol to mint DAI based off of collateral from real-world assets. So uh, Tesla is, is getting a $7.8 million loan from MakerDAO to finance Tesla repair uh, facilities uh, around the world, and this is just the first of what it could be many, many deals coming out of Tesla like this. Uh, I think that the next iteration on these are $12 million deals uh, and uh, like a series of them. 
So this is Tesla getting their feet in the, their, their toes in the water with getting loans from MakerDAO, uh, just because it's an advantageous place to get a loan from when it comes to Tesla's balance sheet, which, you know, that's a, a delicate subject. Tesla's balance sheet is a delicate subject for Tesla. Uh, and getting a loan out of MakerDAO is really a, a great opportunity for them. Uh, and so this is actually not MakerDAO's first foray into real world assets. This is them using this legal structure that they've created to uh, allow and, and scale out the onboarding of real world assets. Uh, and the cool thing about this, like, so people might be thinking like, all right, isn't this centralized, right? Like this is gonna be some sort of trusted centralized entity managing this loan. And you're right, you're, to you're totally right. The thing is, if there's a thousand of these things, there's a thousand different instances of centralized trust managing real world assets, that is itself decentralized. Uh, there isn't one trust, there wasn't one organization that's managing the real world assets for MakerDAO. Each individual deal is its own, uh, is its own centralized deal. And when you add on like a thousand of these things, well, then you have a thousand centralized deals. Kind of makes it decentralized. Uh, and so MakerDAO is pioneering into aspects of uh, just crypto economics and 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 uh, adoption that no one else is doing. Uh, and so that's always why I get really excited about what they're going up, uh, what they're up to at MakerDAO. I feel like there's way more meme potential in this than we actually saw. Like Elon just took out a loan from a DeFi protocol. Right. It's like the meme headline and I didn't see that anywhere. Like people aren't talking about this. That's because MakerDAO takes themselves seriously and they don't play in like the narrative meme wars and that's why everyone thinks they're a boomer but they're just heads down grinding all the time. I tweeted this out like last week where of all the DAOs that are out there, MakerDAO has an order of magnitude, more number of labor hours being contributed to it that are also effective labor hours than any other DAO. And it's just because they're, they're heads down building, bruh. Hmm. Interesting. Bruh. There you go. Well, you, you are the maker bull uh, the among maker us. Bull. Mm -hmm. um, all right, four pool. I guess I, by that sound, I think that makes one of us. <laughs> Look, man, I read the Bankless Alpha report and it's neutral on Maker, so I get, I'm, I'm neutral right now all on right. MKR. All right. Um, Stablecoin wars. This actually leads to the stablecoin wars, though, because mm -hmm. Dai is, of course, a dominant decentralized stablecoin on Ethereum right now. But UST and Luna is really looking to change that. They're mm -hmm. looking to take over. They're looking to come into DeFi and take away market share explicitly from yeah. Dai. And yeah. how do they do that? The curve wars. That's what the four pool is. Can you explain some of the uh, the background on, on what's going on, what the four pool actually is, and how it's significant to the stablecoin wars? So the current status quo with Curve is the three pool, which is a combo of DAI, USDC, and USDT. Uh, the Curve Wars has deemed uh, that it's appropriate to incentivize this pool. So there's a lot of liquidity between these things. So Do Kwan has uh, proposed the four pool, which is adding UST, removing DAI, and then also adding FRAX. Uh, and so for instead of the, the three pool of DAI, USDC, and Tether, we now have Terra USD, which is non-native to Ethereum, although it is a decentralized stablecoin, adding Frax as well, and then also the USDC and, and, and Tether stablecoins. Uh, and so this is Do Kwan, first off, getting UST into Curve. So that is getting UST into the stablecoin liquidity ecosystem. Curve is... It's basically where stablecoins get liquidity. And so it's really, really crit mission critical for stablecoins. Uh, and not only is he in, uh, submitting a proposal to inject UST into Curve, at the same time, he is proposing a pool without DAI. 
So if the curve wars decides to vote that this is where they're going to incentivize stablecoin liquidity, this would uh, this would be a knock against Dai liquidity inside of DeFi. Dai has uh, other liquidity sources, so it's not only in Curve, but like losing Curve does suck. Uh, and so this is this is Terra taking an active stance, protocol wars, stablecoin wars against MakerDAO. Yeah, it's interesting and like working directly with Frax to do that, right? And I think mm-hmm. we're going to see more of these like cartels that try to like team up and dominate. It's just a lot of game theory going on with these adversaries right. as they're as they're chomping to try to get uh, to get stablecoin market share. And it's also it's not only that; it's also like um, not only alliances, but it's also like narratives that that like we're we're seeing this in the in the phase like there's a lot of vitriol between these communities die versus ust i don't think i fully realized that that was a a thing and that these were like bitcoin and ether level like crypto conflicts the communities had a lot of beef with one another until uh until after that episode that we just did earlier this week well no you're you're totally right that wasn't a thing until this is starting it this is formalizing <laughs> the the wars right yeah i, I, I was in the, the maker doubt discord and they were spanning like using that the uh, i don't think about you at all gif um uh like the john ham from that right like, yeah it's yeah. like yeah it's like why is why is terra so obsessed with maker and and moving out die because die doesn't think about terra at all we'll see if that is a, a viable strategy like can maker dow just be heads down building forever and just like kind of just focus on fundamentals which i think is admirable but also can do, is it winning do, can, is, is it can the you winning win? strategy it's admirable i don't know i don't know if it's the winning strategy, strategy. Yeah, that's a that's maybe a that's why the alpha report is a neutral on MemKR. Oh, it's to be D on what Maker does next. Uh, NFT news. Let's move to that. Pudgy Penguins. Mm-hmm. They just tripled their floor price. Lovely. I thought this project was like dying, Coming, dead, going close. Founder to zero. abandoned. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. abandoned by the founder. What happened here? The, the Pudgy Penguins floor was kind of more or less trending towards zero, but then zoomed up to I think at like two point five ETH for the floor because the team has announced uh, basically a roadmap of sorts, including a metaverse game, an airdropping a token, kind of taking the uh, Board Ape Yachts Club playbook and saying, hey, we're going to do that too. Uh, and so then as a result of that, the floor place mooned. Um, I still have you know my how, penguins, but... Um, you know, it's you know. interesting to me. It's like, you know, what kind of opportunities there might be in the future for investors? You know how like private equity firms would go and buy struggling companies, replace management, turn them around, mm-hmm. like boost up the value and then sell them? That's what private equity is, basically tons of firms like this. I mean, you could do the same with NFT projects as well, hmm. right? Yeah. You take a struggling NFT community, uh, put in new leadership, create a, a compelling roadmap, buy it cheap, and then flip it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if uh, that's a little bit what's going on, but it seems like opportunities for investors in the future. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> they are coming to an NFT collection near you, spring 2022. Unbelievable, man. For people's childhood, Ninja Never Turtles are back. did I ever expect us to be discussing Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles on Bankless, but like with NFTs, anything is uh. possible. Yeah, we used to take ourselves way more seriously. Now it's just uh, <laughs> turtles all the way down. Um, nice, nice. Looks rare. They just mm-hmm. created a chat button in their marketplace uh, using Etherscan. We we talked about this Etherscan chat a little bit. This mm-hmm. is Ethereum address to Ethereum address messages, almost like an AOL kind of chat feel. And now Looks Rare is incorporating it, which is uh, which is pretty cool. I really like that actually because Etherscan has never 
People just like link to Etherscan. This is the first time I've seen Etherscan actually integrated into somebody else's front yeah, end. That's a really, true. really cool move by, by Etherscan. And I, I kind of want them to keep on doing stuff like this because Etherscan is the one thing in crypto that like I just 10 out of 10 on just what it, uh, the product. Love and it. also just like it's, it's always up. Like I, I, we all take it for granted how awesome Etherscan is. We do. And I, I'm a very like solid team from what I can gather. Like I would love to see what happens if they start to like, you know, start to get a little bit more Expand. ambitious with what they can do. Yeah. Ambitious. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They could do a lot for sure. Uh, this is an NFT project that uh, was really big this week. Vayner Sports, which is Gary V's brother, yeah. uh, apparently. Uh, they just launched a Vayner Sports Pass, which is an NFT. They sold out super quickly. And that's part of the story. The other story of this is um, like it spiked gas fees for a period of time fairly Bigly. significantly. Bigly. Now, such that a lot of the transactions to purchase and mint these NFTs actually failed. And so looking at this tweet, David, a total of over 7,600 ETH was spent just on failed transactions, failed and uh, successful transactions on the Vayner Sports Mint. And so uh, that is $26 million of gas spent to try to mint this thing and to actually succeed in minting it in some cases for a total of $8 million in NFT sales. So people spent $26 million to mint $8 million in value. Sort of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the takeaway is that why didn't they do this on the layer two? Like they've Immutable. already done, like, uh, yeah, Gary V has already done NFT minting on, on a layer two. And so there was, uh, let's see, 20, there was 26 plus eight. So what is that? $34 million worth of demand for these things. And VaynerMedia only collected $8 million of that. And so they, if, if people were willing to spend $34 million, of which we know that they were because it's provable and on-chain, they could have collected $34 million instead of $8 million by doing this on a layer two like Immutable or, or something like that. Uh, and like, you know, there, you wouldn't have had the congestion. Uh, but instead they did it on the layer one, which we know is a bad place to mint NFTs, even though people like their NFTs on layer one. Um, you know, they, they should, uh, question mark on that one. Um, and meanwhile, uh, 4,000 Ether got burnt from this inside of just like what? not even an, an hour. It was like inside of one hour, 4,000 wow. ETH got burned. I think the largest single block of ETH burn was 150 ETH inside of one block. Wow. Yeah, pretty crazy. That's a lot of money spent, a lot That's of money wasted, you would say, on the, on this. So Thank you I don't for know. your contributions to the security of Ethereum. I can't continue, though. Can't continue. Got to start minting more on Layer 2. Uh, yeah. Let's go to Bitcoin stuff. Of course, mm-hmm. MicroStrategy, weekly update that they just bought more ETH, $190 million worth of ETH. So Michael Saylor just continuing to dollar cost average in. We say this almost every week. And uh, uh, this, is, this, is, this is such a sassel tweet. Sass- Anthony Susano says, Sailor started buying Bitcoin in August of 2020 and so far has accumulated 129,000 Bitcoins worth 5.6 billion, of which he can sell whenever he wants. The Ethereum network started burning ETH in August of 2021 and in that time has burned 2 million units of Ether worth 6.6 billion, which can never ever be reintroduced into the marketplace. Uh, and then I follow up saying, and Ethereum has basically infinity ammo, whereas Michael Saylor only has so much more ammo left in the tank. You know? 
<laughs> We've got the uh, Infinity Ammo Michael Saylor, buyer, always buyer of Ethereum, uh, I guess, always buying and burning mm-hmm. the ETH uh, that we don't even appreciate. The but, protocol, the protocolized version of Michael Saylor in EIP 1559. Well, it's funny how the Michael Saylor stuff makes headlines every single time when yeah, he purchases. It's a meme now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the Bitcoin burning is not the same ETH like burning yeah yeah the no, ETH, excuse quiet. me the ETH burning it's quiet. quietly happening behind the scenes just burn 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 silent burner uh other bitcoin news there's a big conference going on david and mm-hmm. bitcoin miami conference is mm-hmm. is that what's happening bitcoin the mayor 2022 of, in miami yeah mm-hmm. the, the mayor of my miami just uh, unveiled a bitcoin bull is that what we're looking at here yeah there is a new like in which is an allusion to the bull on wall street uh, there's now a Miami bull because uh, Miami's like really uh, taking the charge on uh, just crypto in the crypto industry, especially the Bitcoin industry. And so now there is the mechanical bull for Miami <laughs> to go along with the the metal bull that's on Wall Street. That's interesting. Are a lot of Bitcoiners moving to Miami? Like Nick Carter yeah. moved there. Uh, moved there yeah. Isn't Anthony Pompliano in there too? Miami? Am I wrong about I that? No, though. Yeah, but yeah, is that Miami becoming- has, has taken in a lot of those like tech entrepreneurs being very pro crypto. Uh, being like a bastion for for crypto, especially for Bitcoiners, because it's the right culture for them, I think. Let's talk about um, some regulatory stuff. So the UK is getting bullish on crypto. The UK's finance minister just said, it is my ambition to make the UK a global hub for crypto asset technology. Pretty pretty big words Mm -hmm. coming out of a government official. And maybe they have some proof as well. So they're minting NFTs, David? A royal mint. This is an actual graphic out of the uh, HM Treasury. What's HM stand for? Her Majesty's. Her Majesty Treasury. The the royal mint NFT, the first ever minted NFT by the the royalty of of the UK. Uh, This decision shows the uh, forward-looking ambitions or forward-looking approach we have determined to take towards crypto assets in the UK. The first royal NFT. All right. All right. That's amazing. I Never can't did I believe think I would ever see. The UK government actually minting NFTs. That's uh, that's where we are uh, in 2022. Royal, royal NFTs, right. Royal, royal NFTs. NFTs. Thank you. Yes, not not regular NFTs, not your royal average NFT. Ninja Turtle <laughs> NFTs. These are royal. Um, I do think that every jurisdiction is is going to be fighting for um, crypto, like yeah. fight, f- f- fighting for crypto legitimacy in the coming future. And uh, it's starting to happen because I think I think governments are realizing that crypto is a winning proposition, mm-hmm. that it's going to be an engine of the future economy, and they want to be part of it. This is this is the tailwinds crypto has, and why I think long run we win the regulatory battles, all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're starting to see evidence of that. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Elon Musk, David. What's he up to? Oh, you know, just being Elon, just chatting into 9% of Twitter. Oh, I got ahead of myself. Okay, so Elon Musk last week tweeted out, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? And then he had a poll, yes or no. He followed up with that poll saying the consequences of this poll will be important. Please vote carefully. <laughs> no one really knows knows what he meant. Anyways, like I think 70 people said no to that question. So people think that Twitter do, does not function. Uh, 70%. Yes. Yeah, uh, 70% says Twitter does not rig- rigorously adhere to the principles of a functioning democracy with regards to free speech. Um, later, we would discover that Elon Musk bought 9% of Twitter. 
9% of the whole entire company, and then is getting invited onto the board of directors. This is uh, Parag Agarwal from Twitter saying, I'm excited to share that we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it's become clear to us that he would bring in great value to our board. He's both a compassionate, a passionate believer and intense critic of the service, which is exactly what we need on Twitter and in the boardroom to make us a stronger in the long term. Welcome, Elon. And then Elon responds to that and says, um, looking forward to working with Prague and Twitter board to make significant improvements to Twitter in the coming months. Elon has got some opinions as to how Twitter should be, and he's buying 9% of the company in order to express those opinions. Wow. Well, he is a Twitter super user, I'd say. Totally. Like, he's one totally. of, like, the top 0.01% of all Twitter users. So I guess it's the, the Buffett adage of buy what you know. Yeah. Like, he clearly loves this product because he's on it all of the time. But um, what do you think... Like, what, what do you make of this? Do you think he's going to advocate for more free speech? And how does that actually happen on Twitter? I mean, there was Jack Dorsey always talked about turning Twitter more into, into a protocol. protocol and less yeah. of an application, but it never actually materialized. Do you think that's the direction Elon takes this in? It's hard not to take a Web3 framing on this, but also at the same time, I just don't know how Elon would do that of all people. Like, Elon's not yet into the world of Web3. Like, he's not yet Web3 pilled. He's getting there. It's getting close. Um, I do not know what he's up to, Ryan. Hmm. Elon Musk on the Bankless podcast, maybe sometime this year, David. That'd be maybe. amazing. Maybe. Love to see that. Last thing before we get to the takes, uh, Virgil Griffith. This is a, a sentencing of Virgil Griffith right now. We can talk about the sentencing in a minute, but could you do a quick recap of the story, David? Yeah, Virgil Griffith, I believe he worked for the EF. He's been an Ethereum developer for um, a long time, but he's also been in jail for a little over a year now, I believe. Uh, he was jailed for going to North Korea and giving a presentation on crypto and blockchain. Um, what was in his presentation was common knowledge, um, uh, is from, from, is what Virgil Griffith is claiming, what people around him corroborate. Um, so it's not like he was giving North Korea a secret, like blockchain alpha. It's st stuff that you could learn on YouTube. Uh, but the act of going into North Korea, which is not an illegal act, um, uh, but then giving a presentation about blockchain tech has dizzy, uh, been deemed to be like, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's treason that's the charge, but treasonous activities ish by Virgil Griffith. Uh, sanction so evasion for sure. Yeah, sanction evasion, yeah. Uh, and so he's been in, in jail waiting to have his uh, sentencing and here's his sentencing uh, today. I don't know if this is official, Ryan, is this official? Uh, I, I believe it is. Um, I haven't read through the full the full document though, but I, th I think the headline is between 63 and 78 months of imprisonment in addition to a $1 million fine. And we'll include a link to the document so you can read it. Uh, it has this image, though, which I did scroll down and see, which is Virgil giving a presentation. You can see on the whiteboard, I'm sure uh, the government kind of used this in their case against him. No sanctions with a smiley face. Uh-oh. Government kind of making their case here. <laughs> yeah, so, but once again, the first thing you learn about when you learn about crypto is that you can invade sanctions. Like, is he getting in trouble for writing that on a whiteboard? I, I mean, no. It's a bad look, Virgil. It's a bad look. But also at the same time, there's nothing it's, new there, here. It's also true in a way. Like, no censorship, no sanctions. Right. Uh, you know, again, uh, readers can read the entire report in the case of the government and uh, and draw their own conclusions here, but um, be very careful what you write on whiteboards. And especially if you're in North Korea, yeah. Well, just maybe just don't go there. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the first bit of advice, guys. We will be back with the takes of the week, 
and of course what we're excited about. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Hey guys, we are back with the hot takes of the week. The first one from Nick, uh, one confirmation. He's a venture capitalist. Since Genesis in 2015, it's Ethereum Genesis. Ethereum has led every bull market in 2017, ICOs, 2020, DeFi, 2021, NFTs, 2022, Merge. Led every single bull market. Mm-hmm. That's the take. I've I've been arguing uh, on my older show, which I don't do anymore, POV Crypto, which is me and then the Bitcoin Maxi. He was always trying to say, it's like, it's the happening cycles, man. It's the happening cycles. And I'm like, what do we call the 2017 bull market? We call it the ICO mania. Like that was Ethereum's bull market. Like Bitcoin went from like $1,000. It wasn't the happening mania? It wasn't the happening mania, man. (laughs) Bitcoin went from like $1,000 to $20,000, but Ether went from like like $30 to 1400. Uh, and, and then every other, like the, the, the bull market for 2020 got kicked off with yield farming. We had the inflation narrative in the background. So it's not like Bitcoin couldn't pull its own weight, but like it was, it was known as DeFi summer, man, not inflation summer. Uh, and like it's been NFTs and now, and now what Nick is now claiming is going to be 2022 is the merge hype. And so, like, like I wrote in that in that uh, Market Monday a while ago, like, if Bitcoiners think that Bitcoin halvings can uh, trigger bull markets, what do you think a triple halving in Ethereum will do? Especially when Ethereum is bigger than Bitcoin ever was at any other previous halving, except for the most recent one. It's going to be good for Bitcoin too, because all of these bull markets being led by yeah. Ether also, you know, number go up for for Bitcoin. So, Bitcoin, yeah. you're welcome. You're welcome, Bitcoin. That's what we're saying. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, you're take? not secure in of yourself, but you know, with with Ethereum, we'll we'll pump your <laughs> number up so you can be secure for a longer <laughs> amount of time. Bring a friend. You want to do this take? Oh yeah, I know this guy. Ryan yeah. John Adams tweets: If you get into crypto to make life changing wealth overnight, you'll probably fail. But if you get into crypto to make life changing wealth over a decade, you'll probably succeed. Ryan, why is it easier to do it over a decade than it is overnight? Oh, you don't even have to think, man. You just yeah. like buy, hold, stake. That's it. Three things. You don't have to, you don't have to sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to like figure out what to ape into, what to trade. Um, I, I do think that the problem with a lot of people in this space or the, the problem that they're going to have in this space is they just think uh, too short term, right? I want to buy this thing because like, what's the next thing to do 100x, like, uh, you know, some token or next NFT project. And I don't think most of the people I've met in the space that have done really well have just been people who've been in the market for a long time and bought and held. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's I think it's so attractive to try to play the the trading game, but most people are not going to make money that way. And thinking short term is like the way to lose in in this market. So that's all. It's just a reminder of mm-hmm. if you're trying to make life changing wealth in crypto, it's actually not that hard. The things you need to do are not difficult in terms of complexity. The, the only difficulty is you have to have the long-term time horizon. And that's more a temperament discipline type of thing than it is like, yeah, than it is like actual intelligence. It's not really that hard to buy good crypto assets and hold them for 10 years. And if you do that, uh, I think you will do well. It depends. Mm-hmm. Maybe life-changing wealth. You know, it depends uh, what that means to you. But that's certainly the way to do it. 
the uh, people really get FOMO in this industry, obviously, because that's what happens when you have provable scarcity. People don't get FOMO over dollars because they'll just print more of them in the future. But as soon as you have like a supply cap with Bitcoin and you have like the ETH burn, the deflationary of ETH, then people start to get FOMO, right? And then they also, when you get into crypto, everyone feels late. That is the first sensation that everyone feels after they start to have their aha moment about crypto. They're like, oh, I'm late. So yeah. what, do they, what do they do? They take leverage, they, they go down to risky moon tokens that yeah. are, are short-term thinking, and then they forget about how this is the largest wealth transfer event ever in human history, and they forget to be patient, and they try to catch up with the OGs by taking leverage and doing really risky stuff. Then they lose their money, and then they're even more behind. So <laughs> the best thing to do is just buy, hold, and have patience and listen to Bankless. Totally agree. Uh, okay, let's do, uh, let's do this take. This is from Hasu. Why don't you mm -hmm. read it out? Yeah, the, oh, Ryan once upon a time debated Hasu about uh, a similar subject back, I think, in like 2019 or early 2020. Hasu tweets, uh, well, first off, there is a, a Twitter thread by a Bitcoiner, Alex Thorne, who says, Bitcoin fees are at all-time lows. The craziest thing? Fall 2021 was the first, uh, the first bull run not accompanied by a major spike in fees. How is that possible? What does that mean? Here's a thread explaining the most confounding and awesome chart in Bitcoin. Uh, and then he makes a thread about like explaining uh, like why Bitcoin fees are going down even though when price is going up. But Hazu just says, uh, ignore all that. And Hazu just says, it means Bitcoin is effed long term, but okay, keep brainwashing people with ridiculous positive spins. So this is less about Hazu's take, even though I think both Ryan and I agree with his take. It's more about Hazu once upon a time was taking the other side of this argument. Like Ryan and Hazu had a debate on the Delphi, uh, the block crunch podcast and ryan was of course uh, arguing pro ethereum hazu was was a bitcoiner at the time i'll say hazu was a moderate bitcoiner um but the difference in opinion that hazu has now about bitcoin sustainability is just night and day from where we saw it in 2019 yeah and i will give uh, hazu some credit for this too so we, we had that debate and then it, it was kind of like later he uh, actually did some due diligence and some research and he came out with a paper i don't know if this mm -hmm. was 2019 2019 or 2020 about basically the lack of uh, sustainability. Here it is, Uncommon Core, uh, the, the paper. I remember reading this, 2019, yeah. So uh, the lack of sustainability of Bitcoin's block subsidy. He was still like bullish Bitcoin at mm -hmm. the time, but I think he recognized this issue. And I think this is Hasi reflecting, hey, three years later, this hasn't changed. Like there's no fix. It's getting worse. It's getting like he, worse. This, the Bitcoiner is saying the, the crazy thing that fall 2021 was the first run not accompanied by a major spike in fees. That yeah. is an uh-oh moment for a Bitcoin. Yeah, you should be like, you should be scared. Like you where's should, the fees coming from? There's no block space demand. With no block space demand, you don't have security. Like we've talked about this forever. Like just to, just to underline this and, and make this clear, because um, some of you guys haven't you delved into this, but Bitcoin's issuance is going to zero over the long term. So no more blockchain subsidy. What do blockchains have to do? They have to secure their blockchain either through issuance or transaction fees. So Bitcoin is moving to zero issuance, only transaction fee defense, right. like military budget. So what does that mean? The military budget is going to go down unless, and this is the argument always given by Bitcoiners about the fixed supply cap and why they're bullish, unless transaction fees will rise to compensate for that. Mm -hmm. They are not rising, they're going down. Why? Because Bitcoin block space does not have high demand. Why? Because it only does one thing, move Bitcoins from one place to another. No DeFi. Whereas, 
No DeFi, no NFTs, no other sources of demand for this block space commodity. And so net, this is not sustainable. And at, 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 I guess at worst, it's the entire chain could like collapse. That's probably unlikely to happen. But what's much more likely to happen, it seems obvious will happen, is other chains will succeed it uh, and have far higher security budgets. And there is a thesis out there of which I'm sympathetic and probably subscriber that like the highest security chain will win the network effect for this entire industry and become the money uh, for this entire industry. So, so go security, so go money. Bitcoin value proposition and moneyness and store of value. And so like, what are you building the foundation on? So lots, we've been pointing this out. Other people have been pointing this out, but it doesn't uh, invade the, um, the meme bubble, I think, of Bitcoiners. Yeah. Uh, Bitcoin issuance dropping to zero. Bullish. Bitcoin fees already dropped to zero, more or less. Like it beat issuance and running to zero. <laughs> yeah. I think Ethereum, ha it's like over the week, it's like uh, 20 times more uh, revenue from blockchain transaction oh, fees that, over the last week, it? something like this. It was like, yeah, 15 to 20 uh, X. 20, yeah, 20 feels like low. I mean, it depends on the week, right? But it's right. just a lot more. Uh, and it was there was a period of time where those two networks were neck and neck in right. transaction well, fee Well, there, there was a, a period of time. The majority of my our time in crypto, Bitcoin has been in the lead up until up until the end of 2020 when the bull run really kind of started getting started. You know what's funny, David, is you know who kind of taught me the value uh, of uh, revenue from block, blockchain sales? Was it Hazard? Nick Carter. It was oh, Nick, Nick Carter. Carter. Yeah, it was Nick Carter. Yeah, he taught me that too. He totally emphasized that, uh, opened my eyes to that in a big way. And um, yeah, it's uh, it made me more bullish on Ether. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, Bitcoin has 4% the size of Ethereum's fees. 4%. There you go. 4%. Vance... Ethereum, Ethereum has 25 times higher fees than Bitcoin. Here's a Vance Spencer take. Why don't you read it? Uh, 2021 narrative, alt layer ones have solved blockchain scaling, ETH 2.0 is too little too late. 2022 narrative, alt layer ones haven't been able to scale, most and all of the, most or all of them have structural issues. ETH 2.0 plus rollups are the most viable way to scale a blockchain in the near, near term and he finishes with funny how things change. Um, L222? L222? Yeah. Do you think that's a narrative yet? I haven't seen that propagate as a narrative. I mean, yeah, it's I have not seen that, that propagated as that a narrative, believe. but I think I think he's calling it. Like we're still pretty early into 2022, um, and I and I think also it's indicating that people are starting to understand deep protocol uh, tru truisms that are in this industry and how some of the alt layer ones have violated those truisms, and therefore that's like the structure. I think he's talking about how people are starting to wake up to this. Well, we'll see if the market catches up to that and, and wakes up uh, to that as well. Um, this is a take from David Phelps. Incredible to realize that Web3 kind of has to be desktop only to avoid extractive fees from app stores. We might look back and realize the success of mobile apps killed mobile apps because nobody can afford their taxes. Apple is a state. Web3 is an anti-state. Think about right. that. Love it's a it. really interesting take. Like uh, the Apple store, don't they take 30% of revenue yeah. of all apps, uh, like all app Gotta profits, right? And like, Web3 is, you know, disintermediating. It is anti-state. It is anti-middleman. Uh, it is anti-intermediary. And uh, so Web3 kind of has to be desktop only. I've never thought about it like that, but I guess it's true. Or like mobile browser only. The App Store yeah. model just doesn't work. It's too closed. Yeah, I don't think that's why Web3 is desktop only, but... I'm open to that argument, but I kind of think it's just because, like, I don't want to use my ledger with my phone. 
<laughs> That's weird. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, here's a take from Lenny Ratchitsky. Sorry for butchering your last name. Uh, there are roughly 27 million software developers in the world. Only about 18,000 of them, or 0.07%, work on crypto or Web3 every single month. Those 18,000 active engineers have created $2 trillion in market cap across the top 100 projects. 112 million value per developer. Uh, and we have only $120 million per value of each developer. We only have 0.07% of them, Ryan. Are we early, Ryan? Is that what this means? Uh, I think this tweet means we're early, yeah, David. Yeah, I think that's my conclusion. Look, well. all the all the engineers are getting all the credit. What about the educators, huh? Did we, did we, what did we <laughs> Where's do? Where's my $112 million? Some portion of that $2 trillion had to be educators, right? Yeah, I want to believe that. A little bit. <laughs> what are you excited about this week, man? Uh, at the end of this week, Sunday, I hop on a flight to New York because Brooklyn specifically, because I'm going to be moving there at the end of May. That's the plan. So I'm just going in to dabble around, you know, get a feel for it, explore the the Brooklyn crowd. Apparently, the metaverse is being born and in, in birthed in Brooklyn. That's where like Ooh. the epicenter of the metaverse is. Everyone is everyone who cares and is interested in Web three and the metaverse is all in Brooklyn, all in Williamsburg, apparently specifically. So huh. I'm go- going there for an Airbnb for a week uh, while I plan my move and figure out where I want to live in Williamsburg, and then after that taking a flight straight to Amsterdam for DevConnect for ETH Amsterdam, uh, which is going to be the nerdiest conference I think I'll ever go to so far. Uh, and like all the core protocol developers are there. Vitalik's going to be there. Danny Ryan's going to be there. Anthony Cezano, I haven't seen him since ETH Denver 2020. He's going to be there. So over two years since I've seen that guy. He got out of Australia, huh? He got out of Australia, yeah. So like all my friends are going to be there. So I got a, a pretty fun two weeks ahead of me, starting on Sunday. So that's, that's awesome, what I'm excited man. So, about. so are, are you going to Brooklyn because uh, like uh, you want to live in New York City or is this about a little bit about crypto? Like you want to immerse yourself in crypto culture and have more kind of like in real life crypto friends around? The, the, the latter, the latter, that one. I don't care about New York City in of the slightest and I probably wouldn't be <laughs> You hate to the weather? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just hate the, the density. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Claustrophobia. But like the number of friends that I have that are all in Brooklyn and Manhattan is just like growing through the roof. Uh, and so like if you want, like, like I do, want to be around Web3, Crypto, DeFi, Ethereum stuff 24-7, like I love San Diego. I've been, I loved living here. But like, the crypto scene is just not there. Does LA, LA has a crypto scene, don't they? A little yeah, bit? but it's an NFT scene, and it's it's yeah. like it's the NFT scene that which you know it's 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 the culture scene. It's the pop culture side of crypto, the NFTs. It's not the protocol side of crypto. Like I, I like I like the DeFi, the DAOs, the protocols, and, and the people that that are have the entrepreneurial spirit. So if you are in Brooklyn, if you are in Williamsburg, I'm going to be there for a week starting on Sunday. Come say hi. There you go. I don't yes. know where I'm going to be. <laughs> well, like Br- Brooklyn for Ethereum Web3 and I guess Miami for Bitcoin. Yeah, that's how it's going. That's a little bit right. That's a little bit right. Yeah. Be good to have you on the East Coast, man. Get on the yeah, time dude, zone. Dude, you're, you're going to have to... Uh, I might uh, take the train up. You're gonna say hello. To, <laughs> you're going to have to have to deal with my ridiculous sleep schedule because <laughs> I'm yeah. up at like 6.30 every single morning. I know you're yeah, pretty, I know, you're pretty early to rise though, right? Um, I'm early-ish, but like... Yeah. Uh, not that early, dude. I'm not. I'm not cranking by that time. So we're gonna be. Yeah. yeah Everything about be, Bankless is gonna, gonna be change. synced on the time schedule for the first time Ugh, ever. You're probably gonna make me wake up earlier. That's what'll have to happen. <laughs> All right, Ryan. What are you excited about? Uh, I'm done with my taxes, dude. What a pain. It was just a pain. There you go. You get the applause Look, for that one, brother. I, I guess so. I just. It's. Um, 
taxes and crypto for anyone you guys have done this uh, it's just it's just such a nightmare it's such a pain in the ass like tracking every single transaction um i can't believe you know some of crypto isn't actually treated like a currency like a money like the euro mm-hmm. or the yen or the us dollar right trap cap- capital mm-hmm. gains in and out like your gas transactions that's like your capital gains long term capital gains on gas fees yeah yeah mm-hmm. how how do you manage when you like put uh liquidity in a uniswap pool is that like a tax event what about like uh, you know, staking in ETH, you know, how do you recognize that? And it's just so hard. NFT. I haven't even talked about NFTs. That was, um, you know, that's probably why I didn't do as much in the NFT right. world is because I was like, oh, mm-hmm. every single thing is yeah, like you don't a tax sell event. NFTs, right? No, but even buying them, if you buy NFTs with ETH, that's a tax event, bro. Right. But like, that's a normal ETH, a normal crypto tax event where like, it's not any of the NFT complexity. Yeah. But just tracking all, anyway, yeah. I'm done. And I'm so glad to be done. And I'm hopeful for a brighter future where some of this stuff can be like automated, automated and figured out. And all of the data is on the Ethereum blockchain. Like, yeah, like the IRS needs to have like a push button. Here's your number. Well, we also need like better tax laws. Like yeah. it's not every jurisdiction in the U.S. where all of this stuff has to be like tracked. Um, I mean, there's some countries in Europe where like, you know, crypto to crypto does not trigger a tax event. Right. Um, that would be amazing too. Anyway, right. well, Ryan, congratulations for making the the lamest. <sighs> I was excited. What I'm excited about that we've ever had. <laughs> How terrible! You were like, "Don't do this, Ryan." I'm like, "I'm going to do it because that's honestly what I'm excited about." I cannot lie in the show. Um, hey, I'm excited about this though too. Meme of the week. What are we oh, looking you, at? You, you skipped to the end though. We have to start at the beginning. Oh yeah, go ahead. What's we, we, the beginning? we need the context for this. Uh, oh, how, how right. Did, how did this come about? Okay, uh, here it is. We talked about it with Vitalik. So this guy tweets out, I don't ah. actually know him. He said, we're canceling each other over food takes today. Post your cancelable food take. Your cancelable food take. <laughs> and uh, he said, I, are, I was already canceled over my ice cream plus balsamic take, which is gross. You should be canceled for that. No, um, Ryan, it's so delicious. No. Vanilla I ice cream and balsamic you. vinegar. Oh, it's, no. you can get even really? like r- raspberry balsamic vinegar and it's so good. Oh, dude, you don't know what you're missing. V- vanilla ice cream, balsamic vinegar. I know you've got some in your house. You gotta go try it. <laughs> All right, I-, I might try that, but I don't know if I'm brave enough to try this. This is Vitalik's cancelable food take. I generally don't drink alcohol stuff, but mixed green tea plus red wine, eighty-five percent to fifteen percent ratio is underrated. <laughs> My man Vitalik mixes green tea and red wine. What's up with that? Yeah, I mean. I'm sure it's underrated. <laughs> if it has any ounce of just like being good at all, people are definitely underrating it because no yeah. one thought about that combination. And so well, the meme for the Bankless listeners is that meme where somebody's dual pressing two soda streams at the same time, yeah. uh, green tea and red wine, and then in going into the same cup. And then the caption is the merge question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am going to try that though. I am so this going is, to try this that. is now the new meme. The BB like, this, is, this meme is going around crypto Twitter of just like, the, this is called now called a buterin or a VB. So you can go to your <laughs> local bar. If they don't know what this is, just tell them. And so that this is now the new thing. Uh, I think this is actually just what a bougie version of a Four loco is. I don't know if you huh. remember Four Locos, right? No. But they're, ba- uh, they're basically... They were like what high schoolers would, would drink if they didn't have a lot of money. You would basically like pay like $4 for one and it would kind of get you wrecked because it was both caffeine and alcohol and just like syrup at the same time. I uh, got it. So like, you know, get the, the alcohol, the, the caffeine from, from the green tea. You get the, the nice red wine, mold wine flavor, I guess. You're selling me, but it's only 15% red wine. And I was like thinking about what color 
could this possibly make in your in your cup or in your glass, right? You got that the green tea look plus right. red wine. That's got to make some kind of like gross looking brown no, thing. No, it's, it's got to be like, because green tea can be like mostly water. I think it's closer to a rosé. Uh, well, maybe uh, Bankless listeners, you guys can uh, try the VB special. I think, I think this out, is going to be a hot topic at ETH, uh, oh. ETH Amsterdam. I think okay. everyone at ETH Amsterdam will definitely be drinking the buterins. When we do the live stream, because you know we're live streaming the merge when that happens, we are all going to be drinking VBs. Oh my God, t- that's exactly what we're going to be doing. <laughs> It's going to be like seven in the morning and we're drinking green tea. That's a great morning drink. If you have to drink alcohol, I think green tea and a splash of red wine is a great way to wake up. Okay, but you can't say that until you've tasted it. You can't say that um, Dude, it's called a VB. I'm going to love it. (laughs) All right, guys. This has been the meme of the week and this has been Bankless. (laughs) Of course, none of this is financial advice. It's not drink advice, beverage advice either. Please do not cancel us. That was Vitalik who said this. But of course, ETH is risky, Bitcoin is risky, you could definitely lose what you put in. All of DeFi is risky. Um, so are your beverage choices, but we are headed west. This is the frontier, it's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. <laughs>